as I was like preparing for the message, you know, we're in a series called How to Study the Bible. I was like, man, I don't, I don't know what to do, God. I don't know how we can just like move on and like talk about the Bible, which is fantastic and wonderful. And, and so, so God, I feel like, had a message for today. I don't know if it's for me or it fits for you or for someone watching online, but there's a specific message that amazingly ties in very perfectly with our series on how to study the Bible and what I was going to talk about today. You know, today I was going to talk about why do we study the Bible and what is the real purpose behind Bible study. That was the topic. And then this happened and, and things shifted and changed and somehow through what God was, was sharing with me, it came full circle and it came back to that. So we're going to get to that near the end of the message. Um, you see, I, I'm, I'm not, and i got to start the message, I'm not qualified to talk about, like, guns. I'm not qualified to talk about, and that's not really what we're talking about today. And if you're worried, like, I'm not talking politics today. I'm not sharing any personal political uh, leaning or a desire and, and telling you to do anything that you don't want to do. That's not what today is, because um, I'm not qualified, and I'm not going to speak about things I'm unqualified to speak about. So I'm not qualified to talk about uh, the politics of it all. I'm not qualified to talk about people in Congress or Senate or uh, any of those things. I'm not qualified to talk about guns or reform or laws. I don't own a gun. I don't know anything really about them. I, I'm, I'm not qualified to talk about any of those, those things. What I am qualified to talk about, though, is the conversation and narrative around the whole, like, I maybe, I don't know if you guys are aware of it, but like the whole thoughts and prayers conversation. Because after every event like this, people come, stand up in front of TVs or, or cameras and go on TV and they say, our thoughts and prayers are with the victims. Thoughts and prayers. And this happens over and over and over again. And it was meant, and it is meant as a condolence a comfort and a way to empathize with the victims and the families, but it's turned into from, it's gone from a comforting condolence and word of encouragement that you're not alone and we, we, we hurt with you, and it's turned into a cynical meme, essentially, that points fingers and criticizes people for their inaction. And there's been a lot of that, like, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers stuff, like, we don't need your thoughts and prayers, we need da 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 and um, it's pointing the finger really at, at all people who have done very little to do anything about the situation. But because of the religious nature of that statement, thoughts and prayers, there is also a, a underlying, and maybe not underlying, maybe overt, finger pointing at the church and Christians who profess to believe in God who have done nothing. Like that's the narrative right now. And when you see people uh, speaking out against the whole thoughts and prayers thing, that's like what it's about. And I want to speak to that. Because I feel like I am qualified to speak to that. We're talking about an area of faith and life and how it intersects with pain and tragedy. And as I was thinking about it, I realized that thoughts and prayers have a place. In, in times like this, in times of tragedy, thoughts and prayers have a place. But I want to talk a little bit about what that place is and what that means for us, but also how the word of God speaks to this as well. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. 
And at first I thought it was gonna be like, we're just gonna take a break from our series and we'll start next week and whatnot. But, but, but that's not gonna happen because God has led us back to the word of God. And that's where we're gonna go at the end of this message. So can you guys pray with me as we talk about these difficult, difficult things? Father in heaven, um, you know, when, when people experience pain and tragedy, a lot of times it's hard to know what to say. And I'm kind of in that place, and I think a lot of people are. Um, and now, like, everything's just kind of turning into anger. Um, and I know that there's something else there that you want us to hear. And Father, for the people in this room, the people of the church, the people of God, who profess to follow you and, and believe in you and love you and are committed to following your way, I feel like we got to really uh, deal with what is happening um, for, within us and, you know, regarding what's, what's going on in this world and in our country. So, um, Father, I pray that you would challenge us today. And help us to hear your voice, not me. You name me pray. Amen. In uh, about 600 BC, in the Israelite kingdom, there was a king, and his name was Josiah. And he was like one of the youngest kings to ever become a king. He was uh, eight years old when he be became the king of a nation, right? Eight years old when he became the king of a nation. Now, what Josiah is most famous for is not that he was one of the youngest kings ever. Uh, what he's famous for is that he created or brought Israel into a time of reform, like he did the, one of the greatest times of reform in Israelite history, meaning as king, he changed things, right? He like did all this stuff. And that's what he's actually most famous for. And his story is found in 2 Kings uh, uh, chapter 22 and 23. And um, in, in chapter 23 from verses like four to 19, it just describes all the stuff that he did. And all the stuff that he did in Israel to like change the country and change everything. And it was like, it was pretty powerful to, to hear what this young guy did. By this time, he was like, he was like a late teenager, maybe in his 20s when he started doing this stuff. So it's really, really impressive the things that he did. And so let me just basically list it out for you guys. What are the few things that he did? Um, these are the three main things. Destruction of idols. Destruction of structures. And when I say structures, like physical buildings and physical places where uh, these idols were worshipped and these like places that were dedicated to idols and other gods and they did all these things. And then third, he removed people. He removed like idolatrous priests and like the temple prostitutes and all that stuff. So he destroyed idols, he destroyed the structures and places of idol worship, and he removed the people who made that stuff happen. All right, like these, this is what he did over a period, uh, we're not really sure exactly how long it took, but I imagine it took a while, but he got rid of all this stuff. And he's, he's most known among like scholars and Bible students that he's the one who like changed things so much. His, his, his reforms were like the great reforms. And what's like really, really powerful and really, really interesting, especially in light of our, our, what the situation that we are in right now, we're talking about the, the, the death of, of children in Texas and these shootings and stuff like that, is, is this verse in verse 10 as it describes one thing he did. It says, he desecrated Topheth, which was in the valley of Ben-Hinnon, so no one could use it to sacrifice their son or daughter in the fire to Molech. So in Israel, children were being killed, murdered, and sacrificed. Like when I read this, I was like, oh, that's really close. That really is like personal. 
So Israel is this nation, like we talked about last week, right? The story of scripture is God reuniting heaven and earth, and he's creating these places where heaven could be experienced on earth, and the kingdom of God is supposed to be one of those places, and we're looking at its failures, and it's basically completely failed in its mission, and is not that. It is so not heaven on earth, it's just like earth on earth, right? Like, Problems of earth in the kingdom, it's the same stuff everywhere else. But even in this kingdom that was supposed to be like heaven on earth, children were dying. Parents were taking their children to these places in worship of this idol, this false god, and sacrificing and killing and murdering their kids in honor of this idol in Israel. In a theocracy, supposedly, supposed to be a theocracy. And so they've, they're, 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 they've fallen, they've corrupt, and, and, and uh, Josiah creates these reforms. But I, I want to tell you the story of how the reforms even happened. Like, how do you go from that to what, what Josiah did? And so, so that's where we're going to follow along in the story, what happened. And it began in 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 11. And it really began with, like, not even a religious experience. Actually, what Josiah wanted to do was he wanted to renovate the temple. It's like, oh, the temple's kind of run down. Like, the paint's chipping, and, and it's not looking really good. There's some... some mold here or whatever. He's like, let's fix it up. Right? This is God's temple. Let's like do a construction project, kind of like we did a couple years ago. But while they were doing that, one of the things they found that was hidden was the book of the law, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. It was, it was like, this is funny, it was like hidden under some like jewels or something, right? And someone pulled it out like, what's this book, right? And then they're like cleaning. And you know, someone was like, hey, what are you doing? Get back to work. He's like, oh no, I found this book. This is crazy. Let's look at it. And he's like reading it. It's kind of like when you're like cleaning your house and, or you're like, you're moving and you come across a journal or photo album and you're supposed to do work, but you're like, oh, you started reminiscing and you look at the pictures, oh, I remember that. So he, he opens the book of the law and he's like, oh, wow. Wow. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa. This makes so much sense now what's happening in our country, in our nation. Look at what the law is all about. We need to tell the king. And so they go tell the king. And so what happens is they report to the king and they read the whole book of the law for the king. And this is what happens in verse 11. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. This was like the kingly action of lament and like tragedy and, and he's feeling it and he's in pain and it hurts and he's like so upset and, and, and it's like so bad, right? But then he's like, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. We need to figure out if this is legit. All right, is this really, like, is this really God's word? Is this true for us right now? We better figure this out. Let's get a second opinion. So he's like, hey, go to the temple, find some prophet or something, and ask them, is this true? So they go, and they go to the temple, and they find this woman named Hulda, prophetess, and they say, hey, this is what we're experiencing. And she says, actually, you are totally right. This is totally true. This is totally the word of God, and this is totally the problems, and this is all absolutely true. And so Josiah's fears and, and, and pain and tragedy, like everything's being, is confirmed. And he's like, oh man, we, we gotta do something about this. We gotta change some things. And what's interesting is, is God's response to Josiah in this moment. All right, what is Josiah experiencing? These are thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers in this situation. And this is what God says to him. Because your heart, this is God speaking to Josiah, because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I also have heard you 
declares the Lord. Your thoughts and your prayers have reached me and I have heard you and I honor them. I appreciate them. The fact that you are feeling so at, uh, feeling so much pain because of the situation and because of the failure of this kingdom, like I get it and God is saying I understand it and I appreciate it and I accept it. Your thoughts and prayers are acceptable. Right? That's what he's doing. He had these moments where he thought about how terrible things were and the biggest mistakes that they've made. He looked back on his kingdom and his reign or maybe previous kings and he read their stories and he's like, oh, they totally failed. This is horrible, horrible, horrible. Thoughts, thoughts, thoughts. And then he sends his people to the prophet to seek God. What are those? Prayers. So here's what I'm looking at. I'm looking at this story. And thoughts and prayers, they have a place. See, these thoughts and prayers had to happen in order for the reform and change to happen after. If Josiah didn't have the thoughts and prayers you could argue that the reformers never would have happened. He never would have gotten rid of the idols, got rid of the idolatrous priests. He never would have broken and destroyed the structures if he didn't first have this experience of empathy and pain, the thoughts and prayers. So here's what I'm realizing. Thoughts and prayers have a place. In this conversation where everyone's this turned into the cynical meme, it bothers me. Right, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, like it bothers me that thoughts and prayers would be minimized to become an insult or a, a criticism, uh, a cynical way to express your disappointment with the church or with people. And like that bothers me, honestly. But the death of children bothers me way more. Right? The, the, the tragedy that we're, we saw in Texas bothers me way more than someone saying like, oh, thoughts and prayers, big deal. So as I'm thinking about this, though, I'm like, they had, they had a place. In fact, thoughts and prayers, I believe, are appropriate in certain times, in tragedy, in pain, in the loss of a loved one. Thoughts and prayers are important. Empathy, compassion, hearing and listening and, and, and walking with someone in tragedy, that's important. If you ever lost a loved one, when someone offered you thoughts and prayers and were with you, that mattered and was, was comfortable. So, so thoughts and prayers have a place. They're appropriate. And, and I would even argue that it's better to start with thoughts and prayers. It's important to have thoughts and prayers in times of pain and tragedy. But it was after the thoughts and prayers that led to change and reform. That's what the Bible calls them, Josiah's reforms. That's the title. It was thoughts and prayers that led to reform and change. So here's what I realized. Yes, thoughts and prayers, this is very, very important. Thoughts and prayers have a place. But that place is the beginning, not the end. You guys hearing me? Thoughts and prayers, empathy, feeling for people, comforting, consoling, it has a place. And that place is the beginning, it's not the end. 
It's a part of the situation. It's a part of the solution. It begins with empathy and compassion and love and care and support and thoughts and prayers and seeking God and lamenting to God about the things. Like this is how healing happens, but that place, it belongs at the beginning. It is not the end. It should not be the end. Josiah shows us that it's not the end. Right? Josiah didn't have the thoughts and prayers and said, cool. When God said, hey, I hear it, I understand, I appreciate it, I accept it, he, was like, he wasn't like, thanks, God, and then just like sit back. Right? It's, that's when he got to work. That's when verse 23 comes. That's when all the, the, the changes and reforms and all that stuff happened. It was what started it. The thoughts and prayers led to the changes and transformations of not only himself personally, but his actions and behaviors and how he did his job. And the nation was changed because of it. Or like before this, before this, like Josiah was just a king, right? And he was a good guy. He was a good king. And he would have, if he didn't, if he just had the thoughts and prayers and had nothing else, he would have had maybe two verses in the Bible. And those two verses would say something like this. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidah, daughter of Adiah. She was from Boskath. Boskath. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the light or to the left. And that would be it, and then they would move on to the next guy. But because his thoughts and prayers were in the beginning, led to the changes and transformation and reform of his nation, of that nation, we know him from far more than just he was a good guy and he was a good king. Thoughts and prayers have a place. They belong at the beginning of solutions and lead to, must lead to change and reform. Now don't read into what I'm saying. I'm not telling you what needs to be done. Again, I'm not qualified to tell you what needs to be done. I'm simply saying that the word of God shows us that thoughts and prayers must lead to action. And this is not the only place where it says this, right? If, you, if you've been in church, you've heard this verse before in James, in James chapter 2. Where, where he says, he explains about life in the church and life in faith. And he says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed thoughts and prayers, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? That's what James is saying. If all you give are your good thoughts, if all you give are, is compassion and empathy, which are important, but if that's all you give, if that's the end of the whole thing, he then says this, and this is kind of the famous saying. In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Faith without works is dead. Is it then that big of a stretch to say thoughts and prayers without works is dead? I don't know. That's not that big of a stretch to me. I mean, faith, is it not like, what we think and what we see, our perspectives and what we think about, and does not involve prayer as well. Like you could say that that's pretty much, that's a big part of faith is our thoughts and prayers. So if they are not accompanied by works, James, the brother of Jesus says, that's dead too. So thoughts and prayers have a place, guys. We should feel 
We should have empathy, we should comfort, and we should be present. And we should provide emotional support to victims and people who are suffering. And it doesn't matter like what situation, right? Like school shootings, absolutely. Terrorist attacks, absolutely. Loss of a loved one, a breakup, a bad grade. When people are hurting, begin with thoughts and prayers. But if you can do something, do something. Because if not, it's all dead, according to James. Now, if you're listening carefully, and if you're reading carefully to the story, you'll notice that actually what led to the changes and reforms, yes, were thoughts and prayers, but there was something else. There was another key component to what initiated all the things that, that Josiah did. What was it? What did they find in the temple? The book of the law. They found the scriptures. They found the word of God. They found the law, the Torah. And when they read it, that led them to the thoughts and prayers, which led to the changes and reforms. So this is actually how it went. Scriptures affected their thoughts and prayers, and that led to change. Scripture, thoughts and prayers, change. This is a really important graphic for you. Scriptures, thoughts and prayers, and change. This is actually what the experience with the Bible is supposed to be like. Scriptures, thoughts and prayer, and change. And this is where we get back to our series on why we study the Bible. What we have to understand as we think about the Word of God, the Word of God had a place in the story. The thoughts and prayers had a place in the story. The Word of God changed the thoughts and prayers of Josiah, and that led to change, transformation, and reform. So this is real quick. We're actually getting close to the end of the message, man. It's like pretty simple. When we talk about why do we study the Bible and what we see in the story of Josiah and the reforms, what we have to understand is the purpose of the Bible is not information. And you might disagree with me on that, but give me a second, and that's okay if you disagree. The purpose of the Bible is not information. The, 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 the longing for information is a very Western idea. Like we gotta, what's the phrase that we've all said before? We must get something out of it. If you've ever read the Bible and, and, and you were disappointed because you did not get anything out of it, you have been reading the Bible for information. That's how a lot of us who grew up in this country, who grew up in this time, grew up in this side of the world, that's how we approach the Bible. We want to Get something out of it. This is one of the most flawed approaches to Bible study that there is. Last week, we said, who's the main character of the Bible? It's not a trick question. It's God. But when we read the Bible saying, I must get something out of it, you're making you the main character of the Bible. The idea of we must get something out of it, like I understand it. I understand why we want that. Like, we want something mind-blowing, right? Like, we want to read the scriptures, and we want to learn something that we've never learned before. And we want to hear something that we've never heard before. And that's probably, honestly, how you approach church and sermons as well. When you walk into the church, you're hoping that the speaker is going to say something new and different and a new perspective and something that's going to blow your mind that you've never heard before. And if they don't, and if they say the same thing that's always been said, we're like, uh, okay, when's potluck? I guess it was okay. But it's when they share something new and special and different 
not any less true, not any less challenging, but just different from what we know, then we feel like, oh, that was a great, that was a great message, Pastor. But that's reading the Bible for information. And that's not why Scripture exists. Let me say this, guys. Scripture does not exist, and I'm going to prove this later with a one verse later. Scripture does not exist for you to get something out of it. Actually, Scripture exists so that God can get something out of you. Scripture exists to take things from in your life, out of your life, so your life will be different. Scripture exists so God can speak to you in a way where he can remove things like the lies that we believe, where he can remove things like the jealousy we have, where he can get rid of and eliminate things in our lives like the unforgiveness and the bitterness and the hatred that we have towards other people, where he can remove the laziness and the apathy from inside of us. That's why Scripture exists, to get something out of you and out of your life, not for you to find some nugget that you've never heard of so it will make you feel like you learned something today. That's why scripture exists. It's not for us to get something out of it. So scripture, the purpose of the Bible study is not information. And here's the other thing, and I've never said this before. This is a new thing, all right? The purpose of Bible study is also not confirmation. If the Bible exists to change us, then it would not make sense that we study the Bible so we can figure out how the Bible agrees with us. But that's what we do. Come on, guys. Come on, guys. Let's be real. When we hear something, when you hear an idea or a thought or a perspective or a belief or a philosophy that's different from us, we feel like it, it, it's, it's not right. We go to the Bible and we say, how am I right and they're wrong? The Bible study. Bible study. The Bible does not exist to confirm what we already believe. But man, do we do this. And the Bible is big enough and long enough, and it was written in so many, by so many different people, in, and it has language that is so, like, can be cryptic enough where you can turn anything in the Bible to agree with you. But if the Bible always agrees with you, if Jesus always agrees with you, come on. There's got to be something wrong with that, right? If the Bible, if Jesus, the Son of God, if God, the, the, the God of heaven and earth, somehow seems to always agree with you, you got a problem. That's a problem. We're not reading, I don't know if we're reading the Bible right. The Bible should always challenge us. And if it's not challenging you, if it's not calling you out, you might not be reading the Bible in the right way. And if all it's doing is making you feel better about yourself, and more right about yourself, I think you're misreading scripture. And that's tough to say, and that's tough to hear. But the purpose of the Bible is not information or confirmation, and you guys know where I'm getting at. The purpose of the Bible is transformation. That's it. Why do we study the Bible? To be changed. And maybe that's not why you read it, and you're like, wait, wait, I don't want to change. I don't like change. I like who I am. I know I got problems, and my marriage is not great, and my boss doesn't like me, and my coworkers doesn't like me, and I'm really angry, but I don't want to change. I know I got issues, but I don't want to change, so maybe I don't want to read the Bible. If you don't want to change, don't read the Bible, okay? 
Because that's the point of the Bible. That's the point of Scripture. That's the point of the Word of God is transformation. It's change. And this is how I'm going to prove it. Just one simple verse, probably the most famous verse about the Bible, from the Bible, about the Bible. 2 Timothy 3.16. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. What are all those things supposed to do? Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training? That is all for the purpose of change. Why be taught, rebuked, corrected, and trained if you don't change? That's so simple. It's right there. This is why the Bible is this. This is why we do Bible study. So we can be challenged. So, we can, so truth can be brought into our lives. So we can see the lies that we're believing in and the lies that we're living out. And so we can be like, ah, that's not right. The way I've been and the way I've been thinking and the way I've been talking to people and the way I've been using my time and the things that I've been putting into my mind, I'm in the wrong. The Bible needs to show us how we are in the wrong in order for us to change. That's why when we study the Bible for confirmation, I think it's probably out of like the first two, like information and confirmation, I think confirmation is probably the worst of the two. Because studying the Bible from information and like wanting to get something out of it, it's a distraction. Yes, it's a distraction and it's not good. But studying the Bible for confirmation, it undermines the entire point of Scripture. Because all we are doing is saying, I'm right. See, God agrees with me. I don't have to change. I don't have to be different. I don't have to think different. I'm right. And that is not what scripture is for. Bible study is for the purpose of transformation. Right? And that's what we see in Josiah. The word of God impacted his thoughts and his prayers. So in your life, when you study the Bible, when you read the Bible, even just devotionally, let it impact your thoughts and your prayers. And then let that lead to reform and change in your life. And so my point in this message is thoughts and prayers have a place. And the word of God has a place. But change and reform, that's the end. Personally, for you individually, for you relationally, for the church community, but also for nationwide issues, that's the end. Reform, transformation. So I want to give you guys just one question as we end the sermon today. One question that doesn't replace all the questions and all the things that you think about when you study the Bible, but just one question to add to it, right? Like there's a really important question. like, God, what are you saying to me through this Bible verse? What, 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 are you, or what do you want me to understand? Like those are important. We're actually going to talk about really important questions of biblical interpretation next week. So next week, as we continue this series, it's going to be like the most practical message of the series. I'm going to talk to you guys about how to improve like your devotional life and how to approach the Bible and the questions to ask to understand scripture and all that stuff, right? So that's next week. It's going to be really good. But I want to give you guys one question that I don't think we've ever, ever, okay, I don't want to assume that, but I know I have it and you probably haven't either, a question that we've asked as we studied scripture. And the question is this. Very simple question. When you go to the Bible, when you read the Bible, when you read the stories, when you read the teaching, when you read the wisdom, when you read the Psalms, when you read about Jesus, ask this question. This question is in line with the purpose of Scripture. This is the question. When you read it, how have I been wrong? Like, go to the Bible, and as you read that, God, show me how I have been wrong. 
You ever ask that question to God when you read the scriptures? I haven't. But what if we went in with the perspective thinking the Bible and God wants to speak to me in a way that changes me. So I need to approach the Bible with a posture that I am possibly wrong about a lot of stuff. God, as I look at the scriptures today, as I read about you, as I read the Bible app, as I read the verse of the day, God, show me how I have been wrong. I think you might be surprised about how challenging the word of God can be in those moments. So as we close today, you know, I want to I remember kind of what happened this week. I want to offer thoughts and prayers. I want to be changed by the word. And I want to do something. Because that's how God wants us to respond to his word. That's how God wants to respond to the thoughts and prayers that he's put into our hearts and minds. Thoughts and prayers have a place. And so does the word of God. And so does action, change, and reform. Next week, I want to invite you guys to part three of how to study the Bible. I know we have a lot of guests here who came for the nursing dedication, which is fantastic. And you may not be here with us. You can follow us online and watch our, our YouTube channel. We're going to do part three. It's going to be the most practical message, like I said. We're going to talk about how we can actually improve our daily devotional life, how we can um, approach the scriptures in a way, the questions we need to ask to really understand in light of the story of scripture, the unifying story of scripture, and also in light of the purpose of scripture, that is transformation and change and reform personally for us, but also in larger organizations and, and, and possibly the country as well. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this, um, this tough message. Uh, God, it's easy for me to say I'm wrong. I'm not one of those people where like, it's hard for me to say I'm wrong. I'm wrong a lot. And Father God, I want to approach the, the word of God and I want to approach these sermons and experiences with you in a way that allows you to speak into the wrongness in my life. And I don't want to approach the Bible in the, the wrong way. And I don't want to approach people and, and pain in the wrong way. And if Father, in these moments, Lord, as, as, bothers, as bothered as I may be by the pain of this world, I'm reminded, Father, that you have created a people, a kingdom, a nation of people who are called to love others as you have loved us. So, Father, whatever we are moved to do in light of this in response to the tragedy in Texas, move on us. Convict us to do something and make a change. In your name we pray. Amen.